Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello. Hello, Haley. We are thrilled to have with us today another guest. So I want to introduce Dr. Matt Johnson. Matt is the author of Blind Sights and also of consumer psychology blog popneuro.com. So Matt, thanks so much for joining the show. Yeah, thanks so much for, for having me. Excited to Excited to chat. Well, you you guys reached out to us, and we were really excited because you you suggested a movie that's one of my personal favorites, and I think Haley, you said this is one of yours as well. Oh yeah, it's like definitely top ten. All right, so today we're going to be talking about the Truman Show, an incredible Jim Carrey movie from, gosh, over twenty years ago now, mm-hmm. if you can believe it. Reality TV has come a long way. <laughs> but before we do that, Matt, we have you on the show today, so we'd love to talk a little bit about some of your work and. The book that came out last year, and then we'll we'll jump into Truman Show in in a second here. Yeah, sounds- so tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, so I come from academic neuroscience. That's my my initial training and background. I did my PhD in cognitive neuroscience, where I was really interested in what allows us to to learn from discrete exemplars and discrete experiences, learn abstractions, generalize beyond uh, individual instances. That was sort of the focus of my doctoral work. When I graduated, I went off into the world of consulting. And this is really where I began to see the really, I think, rich and pretty unexplored connection between neuroscience and business, and particularly neuroscience and marketing. And so this, for the past now, geez, seven, eight years, has sort of led me into this path of consumer psychology, neuromarketing, consumer behavior, we're really trying to understand why it is we do the things that we do within the consumer environment. So mm-hmm. I think that the brain is really the most efficient avenue to trying to understand human nature. And I think that consumer psychology, understanding how the brain operates within the consumer environment, why we make consumer decisions that we do, why mm-hmm. we buy what we do, is a just incredibly novel window into how the brain gives rise to, to consciousness, how we learn from examples, how we do sort of everything that is that we do. So that's been sort of my path for the last uh, seven or eight years. It's led me to write the book Blindsight, which is a really a, a overarching, pretty broad, comprehensive book about consumer psychology. So going through each sort of mental faculty, whether it's sensation, perception, learning, memory, judgment, decision-making, sociality, uh, really how these mental faculties interact with the consumer world. Yeah, that's been, uh, been my yeah. path to the, uh, the current moment. I'm sure that that area of expertise makes you watch Truman Show from a different perspective too, because there's a lot of, you know, selling stuff and advertising and all that kind of like in the background. And so I'm sure that comes up a lot for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the consumer angle is a really interesting one for the Truman Show because 
at the end of the day, it's it's market forces which are driving the creation of the Truman Show to begin with. I mean, it's, totally. it's massively. I mean, I'm sure we're beyond spoiler alerts at this point. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> you know, it's a massive, you know, commercial enterprise made possible by the fact that you know people are incredibly drawn to Truman. They're incredibly mm-hmm. drawn to some of the solace of of watching somebody, you know, from birth to you know middle age. Yeah. Which is, you know, a bit bizarre, uh, I think, you know, uh, on, on some level, but on levels, I think we can totally and completely understand that. Yeah. You know, we get into clearly ethical issues since Truman, you know, was not availed of, of you know, this information until very late <laughs> in the movie. But, you know, we look at the appeal of, of reality TV shows. We look at the appeal of, of sports uh, entertainment, which is really it's sort of the, you know, the intersection of news and entertainment. It is happening and it's news at the same time. You know, we really enjoy these types of, of novel human experiences that we get to, to share in. So I think The Truman Show is a, sort of a really interesting elucidation of, of several different aspects of, of yeah. sort of what makes us very strange creatures as totally. humans. And we'll definitely dive more into that as we get into the specifics of it. But that's such an interesting intersection with like your research and your book and in general. Yeah, that'll be super interesting. Yeah. And I have one specific question for you, Matt, because I have to imagine how you viewed this pandemic psychology with with purchasing and how all those decisions feel like they've changed. Why did I buy an exercise bike that I've now barely used? You're and, using uh, it to hang up your wet laundry. Don't lie. Well, it's actually, it makes a really good headphone stand. Oh, it's excellent. Sort of, it's right. actually right here Storage. out of flame. You guys can't see it. But it, it uh, all I do is stare at it and kind of feel bad about how little I've used it when I purchased it, whatever it was, like two months into the pandemic, <laughs> because I was convinced I was never going to be able to exercise the way I wanted to again. Yeah, help me out, Matt. Well, I mean, I would say like psychology in general, consumer psychology, you know, there's instances of just sheer individual differences and and idiosyncrasy, you know, idiosyncrasy there. So, you know, the exact motivations for you in terms of why you bought that bike, you know, we, we can get into a therapy session and, and you know, psychoanalyze and, and dive I into that. I appreciate your hesitancy. <laughs> <laughs> though, though it is interesting to note that, you know, home exercise equipment has certainly, you know, seen an upsurge. You see the rise of, of Peloton, you know, yeah. Apple getting into, you know, home exercise equipment as well. I mean, it, it is it is a surging industry. Absolutely. So while well, you may have bought your bike with, with aspirations that may not have been matched by your your dedication to, to biking you know it's in general people have definitely gotten gotten with that and that that has represented a you know a major consumer trend over the past 15 16 months or so all right well i appreciate your your reluctance to diagnose or, or make any value judgments <laughs> we, we need I, a bit I'm, more time i'm pretty sure that if i keep it next to my desk long enough i'll eventually use it some more what i'm hearing ryan is is that during our next recording session you need to be on your bike oh while 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 pedaling just get my heart rate up (laughs) people will absolutely notice the energy difference we'll just we should have done it for the olympics one you know we should have all been like working out (laughs) oh man well maybe another time so for today matt again thanks so much for joining us we're gonna take a quick break and dive into the truman show Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. 
We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. The Truman Show is a 1998 American psychological comedy drama film. You don't hear too many movies at that intersection. Directed by Peter Weir, produced by Scott Rudin, Andrew Nicole, Andrew S. Feldman, and Adam Schroeder. The film stars Jim Carrey as Truman Burbank, a man who grew up living an ordinary life that, unbeknownst to him, takes place on a large set populated by actors for a television show about him. So, Matt, you share with us that you have recently written some some articles, not necessarily about the Truman Show specifically, but sort of inspired by some of the themes that are, are brought up from the movie and the Truman Show itself. Yeah, so I think the Truman Show really brings about some interesting questions about human nature and I think human sociality specifically. So I recently came back to Truman Show because there's this quote that I love from one of my favorite uh, musicians of all time, Kanye West. And he's, you know, obviously known for, for being very bombastic. And if you look at his history of, of quotes, you know, not all of them are, are so eloquent, but he has this incredible distillation of, of this idea of feeling like an artist that's, that's unable to really spread their wings and be everything that they want to be. And he says, uh, you know, I'm going to be marginalized until I'm out of my elements. And that's when my Truman Show boat is going to hit the painting. And it's this, you know, really wonderful image that is is painted for a listener, sort of what that means, that you're, you're sort of confronted with the, the boundaries of your reality. And, you know, I think that is a very special moment in, in, the, in the movie, clearly. And I think that that also sort of illustrates something really interesting about all of our own experiences, that mm -hmm. the brain fundamentally is, is a modeling machine, that we're modeling our reality. We have a sense for our world that we're living in. We have a sense for our relationships that we're engaged in. We have a sense for other people's internal worlds. That's also what our, our modeling process is constantly doing. And we can never probably ever experience reality directly. We experience our brain's mental model of it. Mm, yeah. And ever, ever so often, we are having this sort of Truman Show boat hits the painting moment where we're confronted with what we thought was reality, but was in fact a model, our internally constructed model of reality. And mm -hmm. so that was kind of the, the idea, the insight, which, which formed the foundation for some of these articles that I wrote and it, we dive into sort of social cognition, we dive into uh, egotistical thinking and, and sort of how we come to understand that other people don't share our same worldview, that mm -hmm. obviously there is a shared reality and we all met, we all model reality slightly differently. Uh, we do have a shared sense in which we're all getting, generally speaking, the same information and, and generally mm -hmm. speaking, the same internal experience, but there's clearly ways in which this, this goes awry. The whole literature of naive realism really speaks mm -hmm. to that as well. Uh, so that was sort of the, the inspiration behind the pieces. Yeah. yeah and you know, there's so many different directions that we can go with this because of all the sort of themes that are brought up. But I, I like I like the fact that we kind of almost started with the end of the movie because <laughs> I think one of the reasons that this movie is, is one of my favorites is that it does kind of feel like a metaphor mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, as you said, Truman hitting the, the painting, his boat hitting the painting, and this this sort of external restraints. But Haley, I don't know if you would agree with this, but certainly in the work that, that I do with patients, 
oftentimes that painting is sort of an internal thing. You're sort of hitting up against this, your own internal blocks mm -hmm. that are keeping you in your worldview or keeping you in the the sort of perspectives that are self-limiting. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a metaphor, Truman's show is is such an interesting one to kind of get a sense of, you know, what is in the way of us breaking out of the sort of very small world that we create for ourselves sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's happened on very small scale as well as very big scale, right? So it can be as simple as it's you. And then you find out that they're like, I've, I actually don't even know who you are <laughs> or like, you know, something like that where, you know, you're living within this world of this person doesn't like you. And then suddenly you crash into them being like, not only do I not hate you, like, I don't even know who you are. And that's, I mean, that's individual world shocking, but it's not as like world shocking as like Truman's painting hitting moment is. However, I think we have a lot of those moments day to day. And with a lot of the work I do, it's within the limits of control. And I frequently have to say to my patients, your control ends at the end of your action. As soon as it's somebody else's, you got no control because you don't know what they're thinking. And that's where those like walls hit sometimes. Yes. So Matt, though, I love the way that this movie starts and it's almost broken up into separate parts where those, the first half of the movie or maybe the first three fourths of the movie, we're just sort of in, we're in the world with Truman, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're just sort of another member of the community watching him in many ways kind of go about his day. You know, mm -hmm. a light falls from the ceiling. He kind of notices weird things and, but they kind of lets him go. Mm -hmm. And then increasingly things become sort of more and more suspicious. So for for someone who sort of studies the brain, you know, I guess I wonder from your perspective, what kind of connections does it feel like are happening for him when he goes from, huh, this is a weird, a light with some random words and letters fell on it from the sky to you're all in on this, even my best friend, right? That's, that's sort of a, a, a really wide ranging progression. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the beautiful elements of storytelling in that movie is, is as you described, we sort of find out with Truman, you know, the, the world that he thinks he's living in is, is totally and completely artificial. And, and slowly over time, uh, he gains clues to this and this begins to unravel and his own sort of sanity unravels with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think at one level, his experience seems totally otherworldly, right? So it's, it's total science fiction that you'd have, you know, a complete artificial environment that is, is curated and that is designed, every experience designed for a single individual. And they're just sort of operating within the confines of this very artificial environment. So at, at one level, I think it is... You know, it seems, you know, very artificial. It seems sci-fi. But I think on another level, we all sort of get this idea sort of from time to time that yeah. when we notice, you know, a few things here and there that, you know, are, are sort of adding up as, as sort of coincidences, you know, in my head. Mm -hmm. So if, if, you know, somebody says, for example, this very rare word, you know, if they say the words, um, let's say propeller. Uh, and then Ryan, you say propeller. I'm like, oh my God, it can't be, you know, what are the chances? That's such a rare word. Uh, there must be, you know, something else here. And so it's, it's very natural. It's a very natural human tendency for us to build connections between things and to try and gain what is the overarching kind of meaning that is emerging from all of these details. What's the connection between them? And so I think, you know, in the early stages of, of Truman's uh, revelations, you know, we see ourselves in that a bit, 
that this thing falls from the sky and that he's noticing these people, you know, sort of uh, the traffic is, is very consistent. He says, ah, that's kind of weird. We can sort of put ourselves, you know, in that shoes. And we're, you know, that's experience of sort of shrugging that off. And then slowly over time, these patterns begin to be a bit too big to ignore. And that's when his goes through this incredible sort of paradigm shift where his entire reality is overturned. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, again, the real beauty with the storytelling is sort of showing us through that, mm-hmm. that, that we, you know, it's, it's a very human thing. It's probably the most human thing that we sort of build connection. We see patterns between things and we just see that very natural human tendency then take it itself to a sort of this asymptotic degree where you just, you know, eventually have to change your entire conception of reality. Mm-hmm. That's actually a thought that I had while I was watching it, which is kind of like the the limits of like how the patterns we know are also limiting. So like the note that I have written down is they've been doing these advertisements like this his whole life. He's not now suddenly going to be like, it's weird that you're doing this. Like (laughs) that to me kind of brought me out of it a little bit. I don't think I've watched this movie since being a psychologist. Um, (laughs) So I was kind of like, no, he he was literally born in this environment. So Things like the patterns of the people walking and moving and the patterns of traffic and doing the advertisements, that's not weird to him. And I don't know that somebody being like, this is all being filmed is enough information for him to suddenly start questioning those things. Hmm. Do you guys agree? Do you guys disagree? Like, I'm kind of like, I don't think that that would be that weird to him. Like, I think that would continue being how life is. Sure. Yeah. So a certain number of things that, and we talked about this before we started recording, like this sort of sense of of culture, of just sort of there are there would be things that would be normal to him, whether it's people framing and talking about products they were consuming, <laughs> or even just like the way people talk or the way people kind of get whisked away sometimes. Like you know, towards mm-hmm. the end of the movie, they sort of shared that there have been the is instances where people that weren't supposed to be there like popped up when he was a kid at Mm -hmm. Christmas or tried to tell him everything was being filmed. And of course, the woman that he actually fell in love with that they whisked away from him. Mm -hmm. So some of these would be normalized. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, life's weird. Sometimes people get whisked away from you Mm -hmm. for no reason. So I think some of that would be normal. But I guess for me, the thing that I kind of struggle with, like, why wouldn't he have figured this out sooner and I, I hate it that I was watch, as we were watching this that I felt like I started thinking of ways that they could have manipulated him better. I was totally. like, oh no, I they, agree. They, they could have kept this charade going on way longer. Like, <laughs> if they actually had the sort of budget that they claimed to have, like this would have been. They could have kept this going forever. But yeah, I mean, Matt, what do you think? Because it does feel like the the sort of serendipitous nature of Truman figuring everything out. You know, I, I don't know how much how much truth did it feel like there was to that for you yeah i mean i think for me it it felt believable i think uh it was sort of a a slow builds you know all the way from you know as you mentioned you know at at, you know christmas signs people hopping out and saying oh i'm on tv and you're six and it's like that it's sort of planted in your head like that was weird and other kids don't talk about it what's going on there and then his his love interests, which really had a huge impression on him. I think that's one of the reasons why that possibility that he was living in this constructed reality became so compelling is because that was a very emotionally salient memory, probably the most emotional, emotionally salient memory that he had. It became mm-hmm. his sort of driving motivation in the end. 
And that was a, a memory that he had, which was consistent with this idea that there is this other world out there. There is, you know, come find me in Fiji. This is all, yeah. these people all work. And this is this very strange reality, this, this strange conception of reality he couldn't fully understand at the time. But I think that did sort of plant a, uh, you know, a seed of doubt there uh, such that he could notice these, these other two coincidental to be just coincidence kind of things with traffic patterns and then his dad coming back. And then there was somebody in an elevator, wasn't really an elevator, all these sort of things, you know, mm-hmm. kind of conspired to plant sufficient sort of seeds where there's this sort of constellation, this ultimate sort of realization of, of something else going on. But I do take your, your point, Haley, about, you know, social norms being very, very powerful. If that is the world that you're, you're brought up with from, mm-hmm. you know, a very early age, and there is no, you know, there is no reference for comparison. That is your world. And it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, having all these advertisements doesn't seem weird. You think every kid goes through that. That's yeah. what, you know, life is then you absolutely, that becomes your, your worldview. That becomes sort of the social grammar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it be, seeing outside of that becomes like, you know, the fish trying to, to see its water. It becomes, mm-hmm. you know, this this thing that's so etched into your the fabric of reality. You can't mm-hmm. see that it's it's strange. And that's, you know, the experience that, that each of us have when we experience a very different culture and things, you know, seem odd or strange but as as franz boas the you know the anthropologist said all all cultures are weird on their own terms and so you know we just are are through accident of a birth sort of born into our particular you know culture and and specific part of time and then we grow up thinking that is you know that is normal Mm -hmm. that is that is reality so um i I definitely do see where you're coming from that you know once you're brought up in that sort of system it's very hard Mm -hmm. to see what's strange and what's not strange yeah, I definitely think the two that you mentioned, his father coming back and then the elevator actually being like an actor staging area. Yeah. Right. That I think definitely was like contrasting enough to start questioning. But for him to suddenly go from like, why are you talking about the hot cocoa like that? I'm like, she's been talking about the hot cocoa like that <laughs> your whole life. Like, that's not weird to you. But I definitely think the other things are definitely, I didn't think of those in terms of like, flipping that switch. But those definitely, I think, were pattern jarring enough to be a turning point. Right. I mean, it's kind of interesting to think, you know, to put ourselves in, in Truman's position a little bit. So we all, you know, just, just to get on the same page, we all accept we're not in Truman show right now, right? We're, we're none of us have. <laughs> well, it depends on and whether so... or not you, you agree the sort of uh, simulation theory has any merit, because then isn't, isn't that we're right. all in the Truman show? Or right, the right. Or the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, let's, let's just, you know, if, if you don't believe, let's just, we'll all just like, you know, Putting just, just aside, for sake yeah, of yeah. argument. Sake of argument, what evidence would be required to convince you that you're on a Truman show or or some sort of planned, you know, simulation, you know, even if somebody came up to you and were like, guess what, you know, I'm your your real father and, you know, your other Mm -hmm. father's an actor and, you know, you're on a TV show and I've signed all these contracts. Yeah, I don't know if that would be compelling. I think there would have to be some you know, incredible turn of events to get us to completely question the reality that we've we've understood and acquiesced to our entire lives. I think that for, direction is easier to prove than the other yeah. direction. Well, right, because it's, you know, and this remind me a little bit of, you know, the work that, that uh, therapists do in narrative therapy, the sort of story that you're mm-hmm. telling yourself about your mm-hmm. experiences. Because Matt, to your point, like if one person came up and said, 
you know, Matt, you're, you're in a TV show. Everything's being filmed. It's all fake. You'd be like, oh, okay. And the story would be that guy's crazy. Even if you had experienced some weird things, it's like that, that based on not enough evidence, like the mm-hmm. story you would tell is that that guy has no idea what he's talking about. I'm fine. And then it's not until either multiple events like that are happening around the same time or, you know, weird, weird, really weird things are starting to sort of coalesce that then you would start maybe questioning that story or starting to tell a different story. And that's sort of what we see Truman do is, yeah, he says, you know, something's going on, man, is sort of the the sort of first idea that we get that it's not that he thinks he's being filmed or thinks he's on a TV show. He just thinks people are in on something. Something's going on. So the sort of conclusions that he's drawing are not even to the extent of what the reality is, not even close. I think even when he finally hears from Kristoff, even that is a huge shock to him because even the, the the sort of beliefs he had about what was happening still were not reflective of the ultimate reality he was in. He also just was not shocked enough, if you ask me. Sure. <laughs> like he's sure. just like, oh great, this voice from the sky that's always been oh, there is okay. talking to me. Let me just open this exit door. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he's too okay Fair with point. this. <laughs> he should be way more dramatized right now. Although if you had been seeing, you know, weird card traffic patterns and everything else that day, you know, maybe you're just willing to sort of accept anything. Yeah, he also just wouldn't be that calm. I don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this, is, so this is Truman Burbank you're talking about, though. This That's is right. Not just anybody. He's the hero of the story. That's right. <laughs> and I mean, he just, you know, faced his hardest fear and he's just like i'm good now i'm just gonna walk up these stairs (laughs) totally but yeah and that that's sort of a a good opportunity for us to kind of jump into what is in sort of the pop psychology world known as the truman show you know syndrome or diagnosis or whatever the sort of idea that people in our world in the real world could experience the degree of paranoia that truman was experiencing but of course, also not actually be in a television show, right? So this sort of idea of people in my life are actors, or I'm being mm-hmm. filmed for the entertainment of others, that sort of paranoia, you, to Haley's point, you, you don't see these people being able to be sort of happy-go-lucky and accepting of the events that are going on around them. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's very distressing and can lead to either, you know, problematic behaviors or are really difficult to, to form relationships and things like that. So... Mm-hmm. I wonder what your guys' thoughts are about that as a diagnosis or, or, you know, the sort of relevance of The Truman Show on people who actually experience this sort of paranoia. Yeah, the delusion that they are the the center of a reality show and like mm-hmm. everybody else is in on a joke that they're not in on. I made a joke before we started recording that I was like, I'm not totally sold, but I'm not. But also, like, I think that that speaks to like, we are only... We, we do only have access to our internal experience. And because of that, we all think that everybody's obsessed with us as we are with ourselves, right? Like we, of course, we think that we are important enough that we could be the center of a reality show. So like kind of literally the center of the world and not in like an arrogant way, not like, oh, I'm super duper important and everybody wants to watch me. But like, we don't know a world where we are not the active character in it. Like we just don't. So then- that jump is not so far from believing that we are the center character of a TV show. However, we do have those comparisons that we spoke about to others and recognize like, okay, other people also feel this way. I've seen the movie, The Truman Show, and so therefore probably not 
real because it exists. Although that could be one of the people jumping out of the Christmas box being like, Haley, by the way, this is <laughs> this is the sign that you're in this. I don't know. That's my thought about it. Well, yeah, Matt, you talked about the sort of ego piece of this experience, right? So could you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe because I think that's, that's sort of an interesting inroad here. Yeah, I mean, as as uh, as Haley mentioned, when we do you know see ourselves as the the main characters in this in this grand story, and it comes back to the the observation that that really the only thing we ever experience ever in our lives is just our own internal model of the mm-hmm. world, and we naturally assume that other people have models of the world and they have internal experiences just like we do. But that does require sort of this small leap of faith. We don't have sort of direct evidence and we're never sort of, mm-hmm. you know, shown definitively that is the case. Um, this is a, an argument that the philosopher David Chalmers makes that it, it's possible that this is the sort of the, the philosophical zombie thought experiment that everybody could be operating as as zombies, essentially. And how would mm-hmm. you know that anybody else has an internal experience, an internal consciousness, the only mm-hmm. consciousness that we know of that exists for sure is our own consciousness. Mm -hmm. And this is this sort of even more extreme position than even the Truman Show, than even the belief that, you know, the entire world or our entire reality is constructed for us. The solipsistic position, which is a a philosophical position, uh, is the idea that the only thing that's real is our own consciousness. And from the standpoint of our own consciousness, that is, you know, definitely true. We don't have evidence that anybody else is, is experiencing anything internally. If there's anything on that, that the lights are on inside anyone else's heads, it could just yeah. be pure behavior that when they are, you know, screaming in pain, it's because they're, they're acting like they're in pain. When they're smiling, they're acting like they're happy, but there isn't sort of an internal experience, you know, behind there. So I think mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's really easy to kind of think of, experiences or, or conditions like the Truman Show delusion, I think that's that's totally bizarre and that's totally divorced from, you know, everyday human experience. But I think we can sort of see a, a little bit of ourselves in that to, to a large extent mm-hmm. as well, because we always have this sort of this internal battle, right? The only thing we know for sure is our own internal experience. And yet we're trying to sort of make room for other people's internal experiences within our own. And mm-hmm. that is, is sort of a fine balance we don't always get right. And so while, while most of us would say, yeah, it's, you know, I accept that other people have conscious experiences. I understand that you know, I have social cognition. I'm modeling your, consciousness, uh, your consciousnesses, both of you, right now. I'm still battling to suppress my own egoism. And there's lots of experiments in cognitive psychology, you know, really showing that, you know, even though we realize this, we do treat ourselves as being sort of more of of having greater agency, of having more control, of having all of these different things that we uh, don't necessarily ascribe to other people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's this, this sort of constant battle between, you know, intellectually knowing that other people have internal worlds and the actual subjective phenomenological experience that our only, you know, direct subjectivity is is internally generated. So, yeah, I think it's it is a fine balance. Yeah, and even that is the the idea that came to my mind is you had kind of said like our internal experience is like the is reality. And even within that, the reality of our internal experience is like it's like a Russian doll, I think is what I'm trying to say. Cuz like if you're dreaming, mm-hmm. The only thing that tells you that that is not real is with that you wake up. 
unless mm. you're lucid dreaming, right? So that's true. <laughs> until until that moment where you wake up, until that moment when your boat hits the painting of waking up, your dream is ultimate reality. And so, you know, to think that just because we wake up, that is somehow different than dreaming. I personally think that that's us trying to be like, no, I'm a grander version of myself just because I'm awake. And I don't know. That's something that I often have to talk to my patients about is like, there's no difference between a dream thought and an awake thought. The difference is you give the awake thought more agency. That's the only difference. Yeah. So for me, this this sort of spoke to the ego and the confirmation bias, right? How we how we believe or how we think about ourselves and how we think about the world and being able to find evidence to support those beliefs basically anywhere we look. If Truman wanted to believe that his world was safe and okay and he didn't need to go anywhere, there would have been plenty of evidence yeah. to show him that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it was his best friend Marlon sort of being very manipulative and telling him that he would never lie to him and, mm-hmm. you know, I would have to be on it too, Truman, to sort of natural things happening over the course of a regular work day. It's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm able to, was he an insurance salesman? I hadn't actually figured out what his yeah. job was, right? So, and he can just kind of go about his day and weird, different enough, but normal things happen. Like maybe everything's just fine. This is within the realm of of uh, sort of normal things for him to experience. But because he sort of gets this itch to travel the world and to to want to know more about what's out there, the things that he may not have noticed now become more noticeable. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know what? When I didn't go to work until later and I, you know, I decided to bike and, and chase my wife to her office, I found a lot of weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, and then then I did this differently. And, oh, I found some more weird stuff. And he was able to, and obviously it was the truth, but, you know, the, him him seeking out evidence to support this idea that something's wrong, he was able to do that as well. And uh, Haley, you talked about working with people and, and sort of reminiscent of some of the low-level issues. For me, all this stuff goes back to like a high school cafeteria or yep. a grammar school cafeteria uh-huh. where it's like, I... I'm very conscious of my actions or the things Mm -hmm. that I say or how I'm eating or how I'm sitting. So surely everybody else must be paying attention to me if I'm Mm -hmm. this freaked out about it. And, you know, Matt, you were talking about studies and, and my brain all of a sudden went to like, I wonder if there's a correlation between, you know, people who have like extra embarrassing life events at an early age to their sort of sort of heightened sense or heightened awareness of other people's perception of them because that, that that doesn't come from nowhere right we learn to value other people's view of us uh-huh. right at some point yeah i think some of the most interesting work on this comes from the lab of tom gilovich up at cornell university so he's pioneered this this phenomena known as the spotlight effects which is mm. sort of what you described in in the cafeteria where you know, you sort of, you know, rushed out of the cafeteria and, and, you know, you were eating fast or something and sort of, you know, you, you know, but you look down and it's like fourth period and you have this like splotch of like bean burrito that you, uh, you know, was, was hanging off your shirt. 
And like, you just become so self-conscious of it. And it's again, this, this sort of battle between external models of consciousness and internal models of consciousness where, you know, you're, you're, you naturally assume that because you're paying so much attention Mm -hmm. to this, that other people are paying so much attention to this too. So your sort of uh, egoism is is seeping into your models of other people's uh, Mm -hmm. consciousness. And this is Gilevich's primary finding is that we grossly over-exaggerate the extent to which people actually notice these things. So we actually did this uh, really interesting experiment and the details of it are actually the details of it. So I'm not just saying this as as an example, but he actually had people walk around a college campus wearing Barry Manilow t-shirts. And this was not in the 1970s or, or even 80s. This was like 2010. So not cool to walk around with Barry Manilow. So this is basically the equivalent of walking around really with It depends on what campus you're on. <laughs> I know. If you're a hipster. <laughs> Vintage. <laughs> So this was basically his idea, this, this his, his, you know, uh, version of, of having like, you know, a, a bean burrito stain on your shirt, mm-hmm. just like you're really embarrassed by it. And do you actually, you know, uh, over exaggerate the extent to which people notice this? And he found mm-hmm. out that people do by sort of like a factor of 10, like a huge mm-hmm. degree. So he actually had people in, in the, you know, the college quad pulled up afterwards, you know, what percentage of you actually saw the shirts and, you know, people felt like every single person was looking at them, but it turns yeah. out that, yeah, a few people looked, but, you know, not nearly, you know, as, as much as you think they do. So mm-hmm. yeah, the spotlight effect is, I think, a, another really interesting window into this, this tough balance we're always trying to maintain. And I think the really interesting work with, with Gilovich that ties into this is he also uh, followed this research up with his regret studies. So we did these interviews with people on their deathbeds and he would ask them, well, you know, looking back up your life, what do you regret? And by and large, people regretted not doing something. It was very few regrets for, I did this and I regret doing that. They regretted not Mm -hmm. having done something. And then he probed a bit further and he asked, well, why didn't you do that? And the number one reason was, well, I was afraid what people would think of me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for for listeners out there, you know, this is not an admonishment to, you know, be riskier, engage in, you know, any sort of untoward behavior or anything like that. But it just goes to show that, you know, at the end of life, when you're looking back, uh, you know, it's really the things that we don't do that we regret the most. And we don't do them because we have this overinflated perception of what people are going to think. Mm-hmm. But the, the data indicates that people don't actually notice or, or, or care or judge yeah. us as much as we think that they do. That tends to be sort of a, a quirk in our model of, of what other people are, are projecting onto us. Yeah. Yeah, of course, everybody is looking at us, right? We're the center of this Truman show, right? And there was a a woman recently wore the exact same shirt every single day on Zoom for 30 days, and nobody noticed. (laughs) And I also, I give this example to my patients a lot as well. I got really lucky and I realized that this kind of like egotistical view at a very young age very young. I was 17, but I was at a school dance in high school and we're like dancing. And I lean over to my friend and I go, do I look stupid? (laughs) Without hesitating, without even like listening to what I said, she goes, no, do I? And in that moment, I had this like little 17 year old, like light bulb go off. That was like, everybody is so worried about what they look like dancing that literally nobody is looking at me. And Ever since then, I've danced like nobody is watching because nobody is. <laughs> and I truly think like I got really lucky that I learned that really young. But it's something that I think 
is so real is like you do walk into the restaurant looking for your friends and you feel like an idiot. And meanwhile, like if somebody does notice you, at most they're going to be like, oh, they're looking for their friends. <laughs> like nobody's going to be like, what a dummy walking around looking for their friends. But we think that they are thinking that. Totally. Right. Again, the story that we tell uh, about the way the world perceives us. Yeah. Right. And that if we have so much value and importance or, or relevance to the extent that people would be looking at us and judge us so negatively or, or uh, even have strong opinions of us in general, mm -hmm. um, more often than not is just not the case. Yeah. So it's, it's really fascinating stuff. And, you know, and then we have Christoph, right, who I think we kind of need to acknowledge as a sort of weird figure. Yeah, the director. <laughs> Yes. Christoph, the director with his, is it a Kangle kind of type hat? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I bet if we're he talking, would wear a Barry Manilow shirt. Yeah, he is the kind of guy. That's true. <laughs> with no shame. With no shame. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to think about conspiracy theories because this is sort of a conspiracy theory movie. And I was trying to figure out why a scene like the back of the elevator not existing would happen. Like, if this movie really does take a small country to, uh, if this show really does take a small country to operate, that kind of mistake just shouldn't exist. So my conspiracy was, obviously this this show is making a lot of money. I mean, there are bars called the Truman Bar. Clearly this is money that's coming back to the show. And Kristoff is just siphoning all of it off to himself. So they're losing a lot of money in their production <laughs> budget. So then it's like, <laughs> well, we got to cut the back of the elevator and somehow Truman's dad snuck in and, uh -huh. oh, yeah, the lighting budget, you know, there's all of these are 20-year-old lights just falling from the ceiling because otherwise it doesn't make any sense to me how these sort of mistakes could could be happening all at the same time. But <laughs> I say that all just all to point out, like, Kristoff is a villain. <laughs> totally. I completely agree. There's, like, zero ethics there. But to to your exact point, yeah, so the elevator is fake. But somehow the entire operating room is like ready to fake an sure. operation just because Even Truman shows up. Never been in that building. Yeah, right. yeah. I was like, mm, this feels weird. But yeah, no. There's as far as Christoph goes, like zero ethical concern about Truman. Yeah, we're a corporation that adopted a child. Like, okay, well, that's the first mistake. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I mean, it sounds like uh, sounds like a uh, a sequel in the in the works there. <laughs> the, the, Ryan. The, uh, yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that now because <laughs> in today's world we have voluntary Trumans. Oh, that's so we true. We have people mm. who are live streaming their whole lives. Yeah. And just for the enjoyment of their tiny audience or for their own personal insight and gain or for money or whatever it may be. So I think it's it is fascinating. Like, what if you kind of did it in reverse? Right. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you know, you take one of these influencers who has a huge following and they, mm -hmm. you know, everything in their life is so important. And all of a sudden, if their audience just disappeared and nobody paid attention to them oh or gosh. nobody noticed them, you know, it'd be like a a gen z horror movie it where would. nothing that they did mattered anymore <laughs> they would need entire just like identity restructuring right because right, that would yes. they wouldn't know what to do yeah right. i think that the difference not the taking everybody away but the between the voluntary and truman is consent yeah. right which is always always my thing and you know like that's totally that's the difference right is that 
people who choose to go on Big Brother, The Bachelor, et cetera, et cetera, those people sign a contract that say like, yeah, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to, you know, do whatever you do with this footage. Right, right. Yeah, because yeah, I think I think that's the sort of ego feeding thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is that I, I want to go be on a show. I want to go be on television. I want to go be famous maybe to prove to myself that I have value or to prove to my friends or to find other like-minded people. So I think it's fascinating to think about if they did try to make a movie like this today, what would be different about it? Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause you actually because I just had a thought. Yeah. So... I'm not going to mention specific names, but there are certain people who are born into lives where they are the center of media and sure. a cultural story and mm-hmm. like kind of in the same way that Truman is, they are aware that they're a part of the story, but they don't get to give consent to being part of that story. And there's kind of shown what happens when one of those people says like, no, thanks, don't want to be a part of it mm-hmm. um, and how that like rocks the viewer's world, right? Like a lot of people who have been the observers of that pattern are kind of like, what do you mean you don't want to be the center of this story anymore? Or like one of the center characters of this story anymore. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, there, there is, you know, only, only so much we can decide about, you know, the circumstances surrounding our, our birth. Mm -hmm. So we don't, you know, we don't pick our genes. We don't pick our parents. We don't pick, you know, the, the culture or time in which we're born, you know, and yet we, the one thing that unites us all is we have to make a life mm-hmm. with, with, you know, the raw material of that, that you know, surrounds the circumstances of, of us coming yep. into the world. And I think where the, you know, the ethics comes in is that you, you know, can't, you know, violate somebody's autonomy in, you know, having them, you know, grow up in a completely different environment than, you know, that they were originally, you know, born into, uh, at least without the consent of the, the parents. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, is, is really the, the line, the ethical line that, that comes in with, uh, with Truman there. Yeah, but so talking about ethics, you know, so we have uh, this guy, Christoph, and, you know, for me, it feels like one of the earliest examples I can think of of like what we now call gaslighting, where, uh, you know, he tells Truman, I know you better than you oh, know yourself, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, he admits that we had to, he had to, manufacture ways to keep Truman on the island. And we saw some of those examples. He says um, he gave Truman the chance to lead a normal life. I know. When he said that, I was like, I'm sorry, what? Very cringy. (laughs) Because at the same time, he's also admitting that it's it's controlled, right? It's Mm -hmm. not fake. It's controlled. It's it's you know, manipulated, which would be a darker but probably more honest way of of what's happening. I mean, there's literally moments in this in this show where mm-hmm. Christoph is feeding the lines to people that are interacting yeah. with Truman. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's influenced, not controlled, right? They're not controlling Truman. Sure. However, they are influencing him pretty heavily. Yeah. I think that's really this, this interesting middle ground that, that Christoph is, is trying to maintain throughout the entire movie. And, and throughout this is the, the, the middle ground that he's trying to create for the show is that it's, sort of this constrained autonomy that he wants Mm. Truman to act normally and live a normal life and be charming and Mm. uh, be entertaining uh, to his viewers, wants him to be free in doing that, free in scare quotes, but not too free, right? Not free enough where he's exercising his his full autonomy and learning the true nature of reality and being able to experience the world in full and to be fully Mm 
availed of, of all the knowledge of the world and possibilities, et cetera. And then from that, choose a life. He's, he's you know, wants him to be, you know, free, but not too free. And, you know, ultimately that becomes, you know, too hostile of a, you know, a coming together of, of you know, the, these two opposing forces, freedom and, and, you know, constraint and, you know, and Truman sort of breaks out from it. But I do think it's really interesting as well when, you know, there's a scene where Truman is like just sleeping a bunch, right? And, uh-huh. you know, it's your free choice. Yeah. And it's like his, his free choice to sleep. Right. But that doesn't make for good TVs. You want to like, you know, manipulates the environment, manipulates other characters to go sort of, you know, wake him up. And it's kind of an interesting moment. That's as Truman's escaping and, and there's, you know, plot yeah. that, that follows there. But I think that in itself is really interesting that that is a free choice that Truman, you know, ostensibly was trying to do, but that's not good enough that there's, mm-hmm. there's, you know, freedom, but it has to be constrained. And, and ultimately that, you know, just, just, you know, couldn't, couldn't mesh, uh, you know, the human, human soul yearns for truth. And, and, you know, that, you know, ultimately won out in the end. Well, and that's know. the gaslighting, right? So right. yeah, you can go to Fiji, right. Mm-hmm. And then making it so that nobody supports him going to Fiji. It's impossible for him to get there. The airplane with a lightning strike through it in the travel agent's office. I know, that's so funny. <laughs> it could happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly where that, that hot button phrase of the moment comes in. Gaslighting is this, no, I'm not stopping you from going. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely go. And then I'm going to make it impossible for that to happen. Yeah, it's literally impossible. Yeah. You're right. He says something to the effect of, you know, if, if Truman wanted to leave, he could have left. Yeah. Meanwhile, all the roadblocks he's put up to make that mm-hmm. practically impossible. You also can't leave a place you don't know that you're stuck in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to engage in a little bit more sort of pop psychology here, how do we think Truman would handle the world? We're talking about sequels. Like, how would Truman come Ooh. out of that door, do we think? Trauma, what trauma, kind of, trauma. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> What's he going to need? What, what do we imagine that's going to look like? Ooh, good question. Uh, I, I would like to paint, you know, an optimistic picture. I think, you know, he's, you know, lived a life where, you know, on, on some level, you know, it was, it was totally and completely safe and his reality was constructed, but he didn't know that. So the, the simulation was so comprehensive such that, you know, there did feel like genuine risk and there did feel like, you know, I had this, this person really loves me and I found romance and this is a, a, a organic human relationship. And so I think the, the, the simulation was so sophisticated such that I think he, he has a pretty good awareness of, of how to act, act around people, of how to, you know, respect boundaries, of how to navigate, you know, the world around them, of how to negotiate risk and, and strive towards one goals. Um, and so I think, you know, he, he would have done okay. I think his primary difficulty would come from all the attention that yeah. he would get. I mean, the moment he steps out of the door, you know, he's, you know, the most famous celebrity that, you know, nobody's met in person. You know, so that would be his his main challenge is sort of navigating that unwanted celebrity. Yeah, he thought he knew everyone knew him before. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. And we also don't get to see his upbringing at all, right? So we are right. making assumptions that he got to this level of professionalism and things like that by achieving at school and 
going well, through a training. They kind of to him and, and his best friend cheating off of each other. Like, yeah, which so I there mean, were some... is kind of a realistic life experience, to be fair. Sure. But like, things could have just been handed to him, right? Exactly. So he right. may not have any of the skills needed to live in the world. Now, they suggest that they put him through like a fairly quote unquote normal pattern of existence. And so we would think that he would learn how to fail a test and try harder next time or ask for support or things like that. So yeah, hopefully he definitely has those skills, but I think what a lot of it will be like will be, you know, those stories we hear of people who are like kidnapped and kept in a room as children. And then when they get out, there's reentry trauma or people who are in prison um, for like 42 years and then they're exonerated and released. They too, even though they had a life before in the real world, they too go through reentry trauma and having, I'm using the, the trauma word a lot, but I truly think it would be a traumatic experience. Having to kind of relearn to live in a whole new experience that you should already know how to live in, right? Like I think the kind of prison example is a really good one of that. It's like, you should know how to live in this world because you've done it and know how it works. But also like now suddenly there's iPhones and there weren't before. And you've seen them and you've watched people use them on TV, but like you've never held one in your hand and now suddenly someone wants you to email them. Like, you know, little things like that, that doesn't seem like a big issue. But when that's happening 567 times a day, like that was five, six, seven, um, like then it becomes stressful because it's day after day after day. And I think that's a lot of what he would struggle with, depending on truly how realistic mm-hmm. the Truman Show was. Well, right. And a common sentiment with people with those experiences is I knew how to live in that environment, mm-hmm. right? They knew how to make it work. They knew they figured out the rules. They figured out that, you know, it's it was reliable, even if it was weird or unique to any outside observer. It was mm-hmm. it, it made sense. And that's sort of, you know, the sort of other big question I was trying to to ponder was, would Truman be the kind of guy who would ever have regret? Like, you know, I, I given the opportunity, would he ever maybe be in a position of just like, you know what? Maybe it wasn't so bad. Like maybe yeah. I can <laughs> negotiate a contract to go back inside and I can actually pick my partner or mm-hmm. I can, you know, maybe choose a new job or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they can film me as I fly to Fiji. Like maybe there's some negotiation he could do to get a little bit of that sort of life comfort back, which the real life does not really offer you to Christoph's yeah. point. I think freedom is such a, <laughs> an ingrained yeah. need. But that's, but it's that's also me, an right? illusion sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> to- no, it's totally an illusion sometimes. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, there could be, yeah, there could be some sort of like Stockholm syndrome, you know, sort of, you know, coming back to one's captor sort of situation. Yeah. But I think, you know, if he's coming out in the modern day now, 2021, I mean, he would easily be a, you know, a self sufficient platform in and of himself. I mean, he would be, yeah. you know, a celebrity. Yeah. He's, he's famous for being famous. You know, if, if Prince Harry can come out and, and do pretty mm-hmm. well, you know, with, I don't yeah. know if it's quite the same That's situation, but, yeah. but it's as comparable as we have, you know, I think, you know, Truman would, would probably be okay there. I think the main determiner of his success would be him meeting up with his heartthrob. Because I think she's the only one, as far as we know, who is actually invested in his long-term well-being. Mm-hmm. If, you know, we're, we're to believe that her portrayal is, as you know, it's a, it's a true love and it's, it's uh, 
you know, she was rooting for for Truman, and mm-hmm. you know, if that if we're we're led to believe that you know the the love is as as true and as pure as we're you know we hope that it is, if they are reunited on the Avatar world, I mean, get get out of here, Barack and Michelle, get out of here, Prince, <laughs> you know, Charles and and Meghan, yeah. like that's the new power couple. Like they're uh-huh. taking it. Like, you know, they're gonna displace Oprah. They're gonna have their own, <laughs> you know, Truman show, you know, yeah, they're gonna yeah. take over create their own social media. You know, it's just it's over at that point. They, they have would be a podcast celebrities. where they break down every day of his yeah. life. Totally. Yeah. We would be vying to get on their podcast. That's probably totally. True. <laughs> I my issue with that is there is this kind of like she's running to him, he's running to her, like kind of thing at the end. And I'm like, they literally spoke for five minutes and then went to the beach like over time they had had they'd been in eyesight of each other but that was like the only time that they actually like interacted with each other i'm like they don't know each other like this is wild but it's the only time truman had like like real connection the euphemism but like forbidden fruit yeah. like something he wanted that wasn't automatically provided to him absolutely so like that experience just can really ingrain yeah you know as a parent of a of a five-year-old i can tell you anytime i tell her that she can't have something that's the thing that she wants yeah and you know, it was whether always ultimately their relationship yeah. was gonna work or not you know that that can you know uh, I would at least set him up to to start with something, but no, absolutely. That that immediate yeah. support would be super important, right? Yeah, Having yeah. someone right because you would not have anyone else out there. Yeah, um, right. Because I think that's that's sort of one of the dark things about this is mm-hmm. he was an orphan. The only reason he was chosen was because he was premature, and it's like that's some of the stuff I was wondering. You know, if he was in therapy mm-hmm. down the road, the sort of like why me story mm-hmm. stuff would be really interesting to to kind of work on someone with that sort of experience where it's like um oh just just because you were two weeks early like we were considering hundreds of other babies and it just just happened to be you uh-huh. and like the sort of weight of that impact on on the rest of his life would be pretty heavy yeah coincidence yeah. changing mm-hmm. his whole life yeah so uh you know matt as you have kind of written on all sorts of um topics related to this we could probably talk for for hours and hours but i think we should get into some sort of reviews here so as our guest we will have you rate sort of you know what we say is like the accuracy in other words to what degree did this movie in this case sort of reflect uh some sense of reality in terms of the way the mental health aspects were portrayed and we'll give you a scale of one to five glasses of Makoko, five being <laughs> perfectly represented the ideas that you would be looking for. Rich All and right. tasty. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty close. Uh, I know, I know Haley is, is, you know, skeptical by nature and like at every turn of this conversation about Truman, she's like, no, 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 with the elevator, no, 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 but the love it, you know, no. That's why I'm um, here. So I've got, I've, I've got Haley's, you know, voice in my mental model right now. Um, but I, I thought they did a, a fairly good job. I mean, to the extent to which some of it is, you know, really compelling storytelling, you know, versus the actual, you know, facts on the grounds is is debatable. But yeah, I do think that you could easily imagine yourself, you know, in this constructed reality and, and accepting it and then have that slowly disintegrate as you begin to, to see that these coincidences are more than coincidences. Mm-hmm. And maybe if I'm, I'm uh, you know, taking some of Haley's caveats that like, yeah, I guess, you know, he just did get battered in the sea and he's, you know, in that whole escape scene. And then he just kind of plops up and he's, he's you know, good to go with his beautiful one-liner at the end. Uh-huh. 
but yeah, I think the crux of the movie, you know, is is portrayed as as accurate as as you know we could have hoped. Mm -hmm. So yeah, four four and a half, four and a half, uh, you know, cups of cocoa there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My rating is actually not that far off from yours. I think that really? final, yeah, I think that final scene is the one where I think they don't portray what his mental health status would be accurately. I think the rest of it, it's pretty pretty accurate just as it has to be for a movie just truncated right like the way that he is collecting data and it's not going along with what he knows of his world and he's kind of going a little bonkers as he's collecting more and more of it um until kind of like a breaking point i think that was pretty accurately portrayed so i wouldn't say four and a half i'd probably say four but i'm not <laughs> that far off from you <laughs> how about you ryan in terms of like entertainment i know you said it's one of your favorites it's one of my favorites it's one of matt's favorites on a scale from one to six and the reason why i choose six is because marlin is always bringing over a six pack so one to six <laughs> what is the entertainment value of truman show well, for entertainment value, I like to go based on sort of rewatchability and mm -hmm. having rewatched this um, just last night, um, you know, in my head, I was, oh, I'll just watch a little bit of it to kind of refresh my brain and, and you know, what were the themes and, and some of the characters and quotes. And I immediately watched the whole thing, completely <laughs> sucked in, barely took any notes, just like as if I was eating popcorn, really sucked in. And especially that last scene with Kristoff in the in the moon window. Um, <laughs> the moon I, I think I've watched that scene on YouTube, like just randomly several times. Obviously, Kristoff is a huge maniacal narcissist, but that scene, <laughs> the way that it shot and acted, Jim Carrey is incredible. I love this movie. It's one of my favorites. So it's it's an easy six on a scale of uh, one to six, six packs, one to six beers in a six pack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so that's for me. I mean, you guys can feel free to disagree, but uh, this is this is one of the the best ones out there for me. No, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm totally with you on that. I think you know any movie that becomes sort of this cultural reference point where yeah. someone like a Kanye West could say, you know, in my Truman Show boat hits the painting, and you know exactly what that means. It becomes mm -hmm. sort of a a icon for which you to mm -hmm. build, you know, a, another argument or paint an image in somebody's head. You know, I think that's you know a true test of a, uh, a movie that's like Goodfellas level. And so I think it, it did, you know, have an impact on the culture. I think, you know, yep. people watch it and they have different, you know, interpretations of it. And that's, you know, a beautiful sign of, of art and creativity is everyone sort of takes it and makes it their own. I think I've, I've talked to some people who have watched it and they interpret that scene, his, you know, Truman Show boat hitting the painting as, as being sort of aspirational in nature. And I think anyone who's had the sort of experience upward trajectory in life where, you know, you thought your world was one thing and you, you tried for so long and then you, you know, broke through and got funding for your startup and you broke through and got, you know, whatever the case may be. And your reality is, is totally shifted. And it, it does sort of feel like that to a certain extent where you're, you know, your Truman Show hope, you know, Truman Show boat hits the painting and, mm -hmm. you know, you have a new reality to, uh, to, 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 to bask in, to, to enjoy. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally a six out of six. I think it's a, a work of art. I love it too. I haven't seen it for years and I like think about it regularly. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely up there. Yeah, well, well, Matt, thanks so much for suggesting it. And thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah. I want to give you another chance to, to kind of plug. Where can people find you or what would you like them to check out of yours? 
Yeah, no, so thank you again for for having me. It's been, you know, a blast to, to chat and sort of nerd out on these these topics. Uh, so yeah, more information, uh, the best place would be my website, popneuro.com. I am the, the primary contributor on the, the blog there. And this is, you know, really spanning everything from sort of the inner workings of consumer psychology to sort of exploring sort of more niche topics within social psychology, social cognition, such as Truman Show delusion, solipsism, things like that really trying to make the ideas as as engaging and as accessible as possible. And they always tend to have sort of a, a pop culture feel to them, hence the name mm-hmm. Pop Neuro. So yeah, that would be the, the best place to, uh, to get more information there and all my content information there, social media handles, all of that. So yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, Dr. Matt Johnson, thank you so much for coming on the show again today. And listeners, in case we don't see you, uh, can we all do three of us? Uh, good morning. Good, good afternoon. afternoon. And good night. Ha <laughs> ha.